and welcome to Cloud9Fin, a podcast on all things leverage finance. We follow corporate debt from issuance to redemption, credits from performing to distressed, and everything in between. I'm Bianca Borver, and today I'm sitting down with Sven Prufer and Holke Sadler from Allen & Overy, who advised German real estate company Core State Capital on its recent restructuring. Thanks for joining me today, guys. Thanks very much for being on here. So a bit of background on what's happened with Core State so far. After a year of negotiations, the company finally came to an agreement with its bondholders and shareholders at the end of August. In November last year, there were two competing proposals on the table, one from a group of shareholders and another from an ad hoc group of bondholders. The two sides could not come to an agreement and eventually the group's board sided with the bondholders proposal. There were, however, a few more bumps along the way until completion nine months later. Before we get into that, let's back up into what Core Estate does. Ben, you described Core Estate as a bird of paradise, as it's not a typical real estate company. Could you give us an overview of what the, the company does? Uh, let's think about the benchmark. What would a typical real estate company do? They would basically build, purchase uh, categories of real estate, offices, logistics, commercial, residential, whatsoever. And the source of income would basically be uh, rental income, and they would try to optimize that over time. Another typical company uh, in the real estate sector would basically uh, generate uh, sales proceeds by purchasing, um, upgrading, maintaining uh, real estate, and later on selling that. So that source of income would basically be sales proceeds. Core Estate does not fit into these categories, really. The business model of Core Estate is focused on investment management and co-investments with core segments, core business segments being real estate equity and real estate debt. Maybe an example is helpful to understand the business model a bit better. Let's use a typical real estate equity example where Core Estate incorporates a special purpose vehicle, an SPV, identifies a in their view, suitable investment assets and purchases that with uh, in the SPV just being incorporated and then identifies investors um, having the need um, to invest certain funds they have under management by on-selling shares in the SPV and retaining basically a stake in former times 5.1, in newer times 10.1, um, of the shares to act as a uh, real estate transfer tax blocker. And the source of income, if you look at that example of real estate equity investment, is basically they get an acquisition fee, depending on um, the value of the property being acquired by the SPV, and thereby being um, preserved and presented as investment opportunity. They get throughout the lifetime of the investment management fees for the real estate. And at the end of the day, they get a certain sales um, fee, sales commission, if at the end of the investment cycle, the, uh, the asset is sold again. So basically, it's a fee-based model, um, strongly driven by project uh, and transactional um, circumstances and not so much rental income or real sales proceeds, but it, it's rather a commission and fee-based model by which they operate and generate their uh, their income stream. Okay, that makes sense. Um, and why did core states start having issues and eventually need to restructure? Uh, if you look at 
the real estate market situation in 22, stating the obvious, um, we faced a severe downturn in real estate market activity in all the key markets in which core estate operates in. This is Germany, this is France, this is the UK, this is Switzerland alike. Um, this is combined or driven by rising interest rates, of course, and um, the general economic uh, outlook being uncertain. And investors took basically a wait and see approach. So investors having funds under management basically asked the question, shall I invest now or do I wait? And uh, assets which otherwise would have come to market stayed in portfolios by simply uh, by simply assuming maybe the prices will be better uh, in a couple of months or years time. And that's why in 22, 20, roughly 20% less transactions in the real estate sector uh, in Europe and a 30% downward price pressure um, on real estate prices in 22. And just looking at what I said, how core estate generates their, 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 their income stream, it becomes obvious that they face a strategic crisis. Because if you are dependent on transactions being generated, and now transactions are going down quite substantially in terms of numbers and values. Um, you have a strategy crisis, which translates into an earnings crisis, of course, because less transaction, less fees um, to be generated. And at the same time, your cost base uh, is not flexible. So um, full-time employment stays as it is, headquarter cost stays as they are. So cost base is not flexible and thereby you run into a liquidity crisis by uh, deteriorating income streams and uh, cost base um, staying the same. So you end up in a liquidity crisis. And then you know, as management of Core State, that in um, November 22, so roughly a year ago, you need to refinance or repay and or refinance a 200 million convertible bond. And this is then followed by uh, a straight bond of 300 million euros, which became due or was supposed to become due in uh, April 23. So it was clear uh, they needed to do something um, to um, get the business model right, to get the cost base more flexible, and to do something with overall 500 million of debt falling due within the next half a year. And this was the, the trigger point in early summer last year that Core State entered into restructuring talks um, with the various stakeholders here involved. Okay. And what was the restructuring plan that the equity investors put forward? Uh, the restructuring proposal put forward by the company in November 22. Uh, after negotiations with equity investors, um, in essence, included two elements. Uh, first, generating fresh money through a capital increase and issuance of new convertible bonds. And second, um, a reduction of the existing bond debt uh, held by external bondholders uh, of roughly, as uh, Sven just mentioned, uh, 500 million euros to 100 million and in exchange, an increase of interest and additional security. This significant haircut and consequently the entire proposal was then rejected by the bondholders. Okay, I mean, I could see why why they wouldn't be happy with a, a significant haircut. Uh, so what did they, they counter with? Uh, well, the bondholders uh, represented by an ad hoc committee uh, countered with the proposal, which was then uh, also supported by the company um, and ultimately accepted uh, by the bondholders uh, at the end of November 22. 
And um, this proposal included um, uh, deferral of the bonds until April 23, uh, which formed the basis for the implementation of a debt to equity swap uh, combined with a partial debt debt swap, uh, meaning basically the issuance of new bonds uh, with a total volume of up to uh, 125 million euros um, and a planned term until uh, the end of 26. By this consistent recapitalization, the company's balance sheet structure and debt ratio was supposed to be stabilized. So the company's board went with the bondholder proposal in the end. Uh, why was that? Um, yeah, I mean, the, the bondholders had rejected uh, the original proposal and uh, they then agreed on an alternative um, restructuring plan. The background, the background was that um, despite the company's um, intensive uh, efforts, um, the appointment of an auditor continued to be delayed. Uh, so an alternative concept was developed to uh, achieve a sustainable restructuring with uh, deleveraging and recapitalization, uh, regardless of the availability of, of audited financial statements for, for 22. And uh, so what was, the, what was the main content of the alternative plan? It was uh, an increase of bridge financing uh, in a first step by 10 million euros, um, which was agreed with existing but also new investors, um, plus uh, a reduction of the, the, the bond debt um, from 500 million to 100, plus extension until 26, um, and uh, a replacement of the aforementioned bridge financing uh, by new super senior notes until 26, um, plus capital measures. So uh, capital cut followed by capital increase. And uh, the result is that, I mean, commercially, uh, from a recycling perspective, you achieve more or less the same result as with the original recycling concept. But um, it, this, it's a concept which does not require audited financial statements. So that was sort of the benefit of the alternative proposal at that stage. So you mentioned earlier that the bonds um, were extended to April, but they then had to be extended again until the end of July and in order to allow more time for the restructuring to complete. Could you tell us a bit about why there was this delay? Yeah, I mean, timing-wise, I mean, the decision, in, the decision to implement the alternative concept was taken in April. Um, with the requirement of additional bridge financing, partly by, by new investors. And I mean, suitable investors had to be identified and um, negotiations had to be started and completed. Uh, plus, I mean, as regards implementation, two bondholder meetings and a general meeting had to be prepared. That, I mean, includes a lot of documentation. And all of that, I mean, took time in, in April and May. And then uh, I think 21st of June, uh, the bondholders already accepted the alternative restructuring plan in bondholders meetings. So that was that was in June. And then followed by that, there was an extraordinary general meeting in, in, in July. And uh, after the, the relevant um, objection periods had expired, um, closing occurred mid or end August. So I think this is this is a process which is which is rather quick. And um, I mean, given the complexity of the case and having two bondholders meeting plus a general meeting and all the preparation required for that. So um, 
I think yeah, that's that's I think uh, in uh, uh, um, in short uh, the reasons why we ended up in in August. You mentioned earlier as well that the the company has struggled to find an auditor. Um, can you tell us a bit more about why that is and and what issues this had for the the restructuring? Well, obviously, uh, an auditor needs to accept appointment, right? Um, and you are just appointed for one financial year going forward. And then you find a company which is really in trouble. Um, and just think about the structure of core estate. Um, we have the Luxembourg holding company, but we have major operations in Germany, in France, in UK and in Switzerland. And now you are the auditor knowing that you have a severe even liquidity crisis. As auditor, you don't even know whether you get paid at the end of the day. Um, because the, uh, the restructuring needs to be successful in the first place. You have substantial going concern. And as auditor, you can only confirm the audit and close the accounts once you have the certainty um, that uh, the, the company has a positive going concern. And there's 500 million of debt to be rescheduled. And there's often uh, obviously fighting between the company, the bondholders, and uh, the shareholders about who gets what um, post-restructuring. Um, there was one proposal on the table prior to the bondholders meeting, then they changed it. Then there was an alternative concept. So it's uh, really safe grounds for auditors. Um, and then you have one, two, three, four, five jurisdictions in which you have to audit, in which independent companies operate. So for an auditor, uh, auditing a complex structure like core state business is a challenge. Um, and that's why it wasn't easy um, to, to identify somebody um, who has first the capacity to do that from a manpower perspective, who can cover all these different um, legal entities in various jurisdictions. There's also core state bank involved. So you need to have experience in auditing a bank, which forms part of the conglomerate. And then you have time pressure. So at the end of the day, that was the reason why already in January, the company said, okay, look, we have difficulties identifying an auditor, manpower, capacity-wise, complexity, um, and somebody having the necessary risk appetites, uh, also from an audit perspective, which is not easy. And that's why um, the original proposal at the end of the day, or made in November and resolved upon November with the debt equity and the debt, debt swap failed, and we had to come up with that alternative proposal, which, as Hauke said, achieves commercially the same results, but without auditor, uh, who is a prerequisite for audited accounts, which are a prerequisite for prospectuses, which need to be approved by supervisory authorities, which are a requirement for debt equity and for debt, debt swaps. So at the end of the day, the lack of an auditor was the reason why we abandoned the original November proposal and came up with the um, with the alternative concept, which did not require prospectuses and thereby no audited accounts and thereby no auditor at this point in time. Okay, that makes sense. It sounds quite complicated. So the, the company is registered in Luxembourg, but its bonds are governed in Germany. Um, but my understanding is that this alternative restructuring process was done consensually through a Luxembourgish process. Would, would it have been possible, do you think, to use the German restructuring process, uh, the Starug? So the company, which is Core State Holding um, as issuer, uh, the, the company's registered seed 
and center of main interest um, is in Luxembourg. So obviously um, the center of main interest, the Comi, would have had to be shifted to Germany. And uh, we didn't want to do that, um, frankly. The, the restructuring um, way of Starbuck proceedings uh, would have required a comprehensive restructuring plan uh, without, from our perspective, any further advantages, because this situation is actually a financial restructuring, uh, which is only about uh, the restructuring of bond debt. So nothing, nothing else to to address um, by way of restructuring plan, and all that was intended to be implemented could be done by bondholders meetings in Luxembourg as we did it. So um, we didn't really see advantages of um, doing this doing this in Germany. And just thinking about that, call me a bit a bit further. What you need to have in mind is the difference between insolvency law regimes. In Germany, you are required to file inter alia if you are over indebted. So if your assets do no longer cover your liabilities unless you have a positive continuation prognosis. So the management of a company in Germany is always under pressure to really analyze, understand and assess properly whether they have a positive continuation prognosis, whether a successful restructuring is more likely than not. And now look at core estate. If measured against a German test of over-indebtedness and positive continuation prognosis, one would have asked the question in November, there is a equity holder proposal versus a bondholder proposal. Can I still continue with the restructuring? And then you figure out in February 2003, um, 2023, sorry, 20 years uh, missed, in February 23, um, that the original proposal just being approved in November is not going to fly for the lack of an auditor. And you need to come up with an alternative proposal. Same situation. And then you figure out in April, okay, it takes longer and I need until end of July or August um, to get this done. So there were three points in time where the management, if this was a German company, um, or not not a German company, but if Comey was in Germany and German insolvency laws apply, that you then really need to ask the question, um, do I have positive continuation prognosis? And now let's look at Luxembourg. Luxembourg does not know that test uh, under their insolvency uh, law regime. They know um, just um, the inability to pay and the lack of creditworthiness. So you need to be illiquid. There are due and payables which you can't discharge, and you do not have prospects to raise credit. So it's a test which is compared to Germany much leaner. And the first thing you need to, to determine is that you are illiquid in the first place, that there are due and payables you can't pay. And that is something core estate managed throughout the time via the bridge financing. So the first prong of the Luxembourgish test never uh, applied in terms of uh, core estate was never illiquid at any point in time. And that's why the management board did not have to worry as long as that was the case, um, that there is a filing reason, a mandatory reason to file for commencement of insolvency proceedings under Luxembourg law. And that's why bottom line, um, shifting Comey to Germany to avail uh, ourselves of a star um, option 
would have come at a price, being a much stricter insolvency law regime, uh, which we did want to avoid. And that's why Hauke is absolutely right. The bonds were governed by German law. We could put them under the Bond Act, restructure them under the German Bond Act, combined with a Luxembourg corporate law uh, governed process for the capital measures, capital reduction and issuing new shares. Okay, so two different jurisdictions. And I guess what would have happened in a liquidation scenario? Yes, I mean, what would a liquidation scenario look like? I mean, first of all, we would have obviously um, Luxembourg bankruptcy proceedings over the holding entity. As a consequence, I mean, there's a risk that basically all subsidiaries based in Germany and elsewhere would also be at risk and may also have to file for insolvency in the various jurisdictions. And I mean, that would end up in a situation where obviously various companies um, in various jurisdictions with various applicable laws, maybe competing interests would be in bankruptcy proceedings. And um, this would actually be a quite complex situation if you look at the whole uh, look at the group as a whole that would actually be very difficult to manage and uh, would definitely from our perspective bear the risks of in the end a more or less complete value destruction for the entire group and uh, that's not a situation where we wanted to add up what what what's next for core estate um it updated its strategy as well uh, when it updated its restructuring plan in april which involved cost cutting and asset sales could you take us through the process uh, the progress of the company so far on that the restructuring of core estate has three elements financial restructuring was done in august closed um tick the box um second point is basically the split of the business into a core and a non-core part the core part being asset management um, and uh, services related thereto. And then we have the non-core part, which is basically up for sale. And by selling various assets being defined as the non-core business going forward, this creates the debt reduction capacity, right? So the sales proceeds, less costs and less intercompany liabilities creates the potential for repayments. Um, and what they just did is two days ago, um, Hauke spotted that um, uh, on the internet, on the Core Estate website, uh, properly, they have sold CRM, which is uh, a student housing business in the UK. And they used the proceeds after repaying into a company that in particular for debt discharge um, towards the bondholders, uh, which are still sitting in the structure post restructuring. And this is continuing by other uh, disposals of co-investments, warehousing items and others, which are still sitting on the balance sheet. And this will develop over time until December 26, when the bonds uh, all become due and payable again. Um, they will have sold using the best possible market windows for sale proceeds, um, these assets uh, to be sold off and the proceeds then uh, to be used. The first real um, large disinvestment is, uh, as I said, is that CRM, students housing business in the UK, just a couple of days ago. And the third element is simply ongoing. It's always below the radar screen, which is cost cutting. Employees leave because there is fluctuation. Um, employees are made redundant. It's inevitably 
um, part of the process. So that is below the radar screen. They are generally cost cutting um, on all sorts of expenses within the company. And last not least, the burden of uh, having to pay uh, a bunch of advisors um, in course of the restructuring is gone because the restructuring is implemented. So that cash outflow um, is also uh, to stop now. And by that element, the third uh, prong of the restructuring uh, is implemented and thereby core state, I think, uh, is on a good way uh, going forward. Great. Well, that's all we've got time for this week. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having us. This was a pleasure. And thanks to you, the listener, for tuning in. Please let us know if you have any feedback by reaching out to team at ninefin.com and check in next week to hear the latest on US markets with our colleague Will Cager-Smith. And we'll be back the week after that. See you then.